You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Terry, welcome to Real Faith Stories. I am really excited to chat with you today about your journey. Well, I'm thankful to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to share a little bit about my journey and hope that it helps someone. Absolutely. Share a bit about who you are, Terry. Where'd you grow up? What's your backstory? Yeah, I grew up in the Mountain View Trailer Park, which is in San Bernardino, California. It used to be a beautiful place at the foothills, but then the entire city of San Bernardino took a downturn from crime, drug use. So it's just, I refer to it as the armpit of California now. <laughs> However, there's some beautiful people living there still and great people. It's just, uh, it's just a, a rougher spot now. What happened after you left the trailer park? Where'd you go from there? And how old were you when you left? At 16, I left home. I ran away from home. I'd had enough. I had a rough childhood and I didn't think I was being treated fairly. So I found a big brother who was a guy who was on the wrestling team. His name was Brian and he mentored me, really kind of spoke, spoke into my life and encouraged me just to leave. And he had left home because of his childhood. Hmm. And uh, I came up with this plan that I was going to basically pack up all my belongings and hitchhike to the beach and leave as a beach, live as a beach bum. And he said, no, no, we can do better than that. Why don't you bring a little bit of your clothing every single day? I'll take it home to my place. He was living in a trailer in the back of a friend's house. And I'll stash that stuff away. And when you have enough taken out, well, you'll just come back with me. How old was Brian? He's my age. Okay. Yeah, he's 16 at the time. Wow. So he'd already left home. He was living in the back of someone else's place in a trailer. Right. Okay. What happened next? Well, I'd, we moved forward with the plan. I, t I was very afraid. I, I lived in fear when I was a kid just because of everything that had gone on. This guy was a guide and I trusted him. And uh, so we put stuff in his car every single day until I had what I thought I needed. And I went home with him one day. And I think that's probably when all hell broke loose. I, it wasn't an easy, they weren't going to let me go easily. I mean, they came after us. I say they, my dad and my stepmom. There was one point, if you can believe it, and this is wild, where they saw me and my friend driving in his truck. He had a, a jalopy. I mean, just a beat up old truck. And my stepmom, bless her heart, she was going to get us stopped. And even if it took, even if it took T-boning us. So yeah. she charged toward us in the minivan. And, and luckily we escaped and we got out of there in his little jalopy truck. And they had the cops called on us. They just made it hard for me to leave. Mm -hmm. And I understand it a little now, but uh, man, was it a wild time in my life. Wow. So what happened the last couple of years of high school? Did you continue to go there? Yeah. So I spent a couple of weeks with a friend here, a couple of weeks with a friend there. Once they'd find out where I was, they'd send the cops and I'd have to move. And eventually they came to terms that I wasn't coming home. And so I started going back to high school. And one day I was pulled out of my class and I get to the principal's office and the principal tells me, hey, your dad's out front. You're going home. He wants to pull you out of school and he's your legal guardian so he can do that. And I think this is the point where I moved out of fear and I just made a decision that I was going to do something else. I went to the front of that school and he was there and he was angry and he had his vehicle there ready to take me home. 
And he said, get in the car, we're going home. And I said, I'm not going home with you. I'm never coming home. And I just took off running. And uh, that was a turning point. I think that's when they realized that, that I wasn't coming home. Now I've got a great relationship with my, with my dad now. And uh, things are restored. And I, w- I must have been a bonehead as a kid. And I've made tons of mistakes since I was a kid. But that's really how I transitioned out of you know, adolescence and into an adulthood, whether I was ready or not. What happened after you made that choice? You're not going home. You dropped the fear. What played out over the next few years in your life? Well, I was I didn't have a whole lot of options. And uh, I, I love being just straightforward about this story in my life. I moved in with my mom. And this is a whole other story that we can get into if you'd like. My mom went away to prison at 11 when I was 11 years old. And that was traumatizing. It was very traumatic to a young son to lose his mom. And uh, she had gotten out. And we had broken contact for various reasons, but I found her and I said, Hey mom, I want to come live with you. I want to finish out high school with you. And then I want to join the military. And uh, I remember the moment that I decided I wanted to join the military. I was in the quad at high school and uh, I see this guy in his BDUs, his camis walking across the quad and he was proud. He had his chest out. He was walking with purpose. He was on a mission. And uh, I thought to myself, I don't have a mission. I'm not proud of who I am. I want to be like that guy. Mm. And I think that's when I decided to join the military. So I talked to a bunch of recruiters, did the testing required, and I was in boot camp before I was 18, 17 years old, in Navy boot camp, preparing to be a, a Navy corpsman. And tell me what happened in the Navy. Well, so everybody goes through an A school in the Navy after boot camp, and I learned to be essentially a medic. And the Navy is unique. They provide corpsmen, which are essentially medic, for both the Navy and the Marines. And typically, you get funneled down one of those paths. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, funneled down the Marine path. So I got stationed with the Marines after I did a C school, which is like a secondary school. And that was field medic service school, where you learn how to run around with the Marines and patch them up in the field. You learn how to shoot guns and dodge grenades and all that good stuff. So essentially, you're these corpsmen who go through FMSS or a hybrid of Navy corpsmen, and they get a little Marine Corps training because that school is led by both the Navy personnel Mm -hmm. and the Marine personnel. So you get training from the Marines in that school. I got stationed at a hospital right after that, and then I was deployed. I remember watching the Twin Towers fall when I was in the surgical waiting room where everyone hung out, the employee waiting room. Yeah. Watched the Twin Towers fall, and I said to myself, man, we're going to war. And I knew then we were going to war. I would probably be deployed, and I was a year later. Man, oh, I bet you saw some harrowing things, didn't you? Yeah, you know, everybody has a unique experience over there. Mm-hmm. I was I was sent to Kuwait, and then we entered Iraq, so I was a part of the first wave in. You know, we got shot at, and we got rockets launched in our direction, and we we went through all that. But I was very fortunate. We lost people from our unit, but I never had to experience death while I was over there. I mean, when I say experience, I mean up close and personal. Uh, I had corpsman buddies who had people blown up in front of them. And that does something to somebody. I'm very fortunate that didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Now I cared for a lot of people, but, and we had, we lost people, but, but yeah, it, you can't go to war and uh, come back unchanged. I don't think it's possible. Sure. Well, you got out of the Navy, and what happened next? Yeah, so I, um, I talk about this 
phase of my life. First of all, I don't remember praying one time when I was at war. I don't remember praying. Now, maybe I did. It just doesn't stand out. Me trusting the Lord to get me through war. However, I do remember the day that I checked into Kuwait, we knew we were going to Iraq. We were doing our build up there in northern Kuwait. I remember thinking to myself, I'm probably going to die here. So I just became okay with the idea of death. Mm. And that changes everything. If you're afraid for your life, you're very locked up. You can't move freely. Decisions aren't made as easily. But once you get past the point of accepting that you could die, you're willing to let it all go, and there's a high probability that you're going to die, there's a freedom in that. I do remember that. When I got back from all that, I decided I was getting out of the military. I didn't want to be in the medical field. And um, I thought that I would go to school right off the bat and become an entrepreneur. I wanted more freedom. I was very feral in the military. I got (laughs) in trouble a couple of times. And when I got out, I didn't realize how tough it was going to be. There was so much chaos in the military and before I joined the military that I didn't appreciate the structure and the discipline that the military taught me. And I had complete control of what I was going to do when I got out of the military. And that was a very, very destructive recipe for me. I mean, it was just a like three or four years of chaos where I was drinking all the time and partying, just doing everything that I shouldn't if I wanted my life to get on track. And what I didn't realize, and a lot of people that get out of the military, they don't realize when you're in a state of depression or uh, post-traumatic stress, you don't understand what's going on physiologically and psychologically. When you're in it, you don't understand it. So it was a tough three or four years. I tried everything from booze, womanizing to psychotic drugs like antidepressants. Mm-hmm. This can really mess you up. And I just had a rough I think it was four or five years after the military. You said in the feedback you gave me prior to our conversation that one of your biggest lessons from life is that most people die regretting not risking more. Tell me how you transitioned into that thought process as things started coming together for you. Well, so that, that particular point in my life happened much later. I got to a place, I moved to Texas, I I went to Texas A&M, I straightened myself out for the most part, but I was still drinking and I still had these internal issues that I was sorting through. Mm -hmm. Got my degree, got a very successful position with, with a publicly traded company and making very good money and I thought I had it together. And my wife and I, started going to church and we were we were kind of in. We made sure to make it to church on Sunday, but we weren't trusting the Lord, especially me. I wasn't trusting the Lord to provide, to lead me, to help me through the dark parts of my life. Mm-hmm. And I was drinking a lot on the weekdays. And so I think it was about 31 years old when I, I kind of got to a low point in life and I just blew my family up. And, uh, and I turned things over to the Lord. That was a very, that was a transitional point in my life where I turned things over to the Lord and I said, God, one, one last promise, God, if you'll get me through this, man, I'll serve you. And I had said that plenty of times before in my life, but I was at a low point and I didn't have any other options because I tried the booze and I tried the women and I tried the success. And nothing, I still needed more. And C.S. Lewis talks about this desire of our heart. And he says, 
if there's an unfulfilled desire in our heart, there must be a reason. Mm -hmm. And I could not feel that desire in my heart. I tried everything except for filling it with the Lord. And, uh, and so I went all in. He did rescue me from my demons. And uh, that was a transitional point in my life. And after that, that's where I got a little more confident. And I started living a little riskier and uh, took some more risks. And they weren't the big flashy risks per se. One of the first risks that I took was leaving a job where I was making well, you know, the six figure, I had a big salary, I had a lot of control, I had a great job, and I was offered a position at the church. And it was going to require a 60% pay cut for me. And I was afraid. Yeah. I mean, because we were getting by and we had a nice house and new, new cars, and I didn't know how we would make it. But that was the first time in my life where I said, okay, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to do this because I believe you put it on my heart. And I'm going to take this position and I'm going to trust that you're going to help me figure this out. And so we took a 60% pay cut and we paid off. I don't understand the math in this equation. We paid off somewhere along the lines of $17,000 in debt. And we, ha- we got our place into it. We got our, ourselves into a position where we could live on 60% less than we were making. And so that was a big, that was a big risk during that transition. Let me circle back on something, Terry. You said that you got very serious with this commitment. Lord, if you deliver me from this situation where I blew up my family, so to speak, I'll serve you. When you were rescued, what did that look like, Terry? What happened? Well, I think it was a big letting go for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to control everything. I wanted to to medicate when I was feeling bad. I wanted to take the reins of my future. And when things didn't work out my way, I just wanted to complain and just wrestle with everything around me. I was a a bullheaded, up against the brick wall, smash through it kind of guy. And I was going to figure out a way through things, whether I had to power through it or think my way through it or any other human capability. I would use that as opposed to letting the Lord work on it and trusting he's going to help me. So that was a big letting go. I wasn't going to try to control everything. I was going to trust him to help me sort my life out. So it sounds like the opposite of the way you were living your life. In other words, instead of the smash mouth, Terry, let's get her done. You found that actually opening your palms and lowering your arms and just saying, God, whatever you want was the way to power through, so to speak, right? That's right. For a man, that has got to be really difficult to accept because God has given us this testosterone, this strength, and this drive, and it seems like the antithesis of that is letting go and asking the Lord to just take over. Yeah, and I came to realize that most people, including myself, or many people, believe that asking for help is a weakness when in fact asking for help is a strength. Tell me why you say that. You know, it's counterintuitive. We often think that we're a closed unit and that uh, we have everything we need. And if we don't have what we want, we just need to be stronger and tougher and smarter and figure out how to do it. Yeah. But it takes some humility and um, it takes some trust in the Lord uh, to ask for help. You know, not only asking for help from the Lord, but asking for help from other people. You know, I am guilty of this. I want to put my best foot forward. I want to present myself as this well-put-together guy, and I still struggle to this day. And even after that turning point in my life, when I went into ministry, I didn't feel worthy. I struggled with uh, perception. I had the imposter syndrome going on. Mm -hmm. I thought, how can I be a minister to other people 
when I've got this tattered past. And I thought that because everybody else in ministry puts on this face that everything's perfect. And when people go to them with problems, they refer to scripture and they don't talk about their past and what they've gone through. Now, some do, but that's not what I saw. I saw a, I was moving into this group of people who had well put together lives, who knew scripture, who essentially walked on water. And I did not feel worthy to be in that crowd. Now, as you moved into that space, obviously you said you're de- you were dealing with imposter syndrome. Everybody else seems put together. Tell me how you came face to face with that fear, those fears, and what did you do to deal with those things? No, fortunately, I had some good leaders who who I got to work for. And things are 2020 in hindsight or close to it. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at that first ministry job, my pastor at the time, his name is Alan, and he was a great example. He got up on stage and he talked about what he struggled with. When he made a mistake publicly, he apologized publicly from the stage. And asked and prayed to God that people wouldn't be offended. When I went through a major crisis while I was on staff, he checked in on me and they were very empathetic with me. And uh, so that was a beautiful realization for me. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what I needed at that time. I mean, they didn't judge me. And uh, there was a very tough point when I was on staff at the church where my 16 year old daughter ran away from home. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. I left at 16 years old. My daughter is now, she left the home. She's living on her own at 16 years old. How can I be on a church staff when my kid ran away from home? I'm not worthy to be on a church staff and help other people go through tough things when I can't even sort out my family. Mm. There's scripture that points to that idea. And so that was a tough transitional point for me. How did that work out? Well, my daughter uh, ended up moving in with some friends and doing her own thing. And uh, she stayed gone from 16 years old. Still to this day, she's on her own. Now, our relationship has been restored Mm. and I've apologized for my wrongdoing. I wanted to completely shield her from all the stuff that I went through. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't give her, I kept all the control and I didn't trust her. And that led to her rebelling. And so, you know, I didn't know how to parent because I came out of a situation that I was raised in and some of the examples that I was led by as a childhood, they were, they weren't the right examples. So it was tough to figure out how to parent a kid. And I made a lot of mistakes as a parent and thank God me and my daughter's relationship is restored. She's such a beautiful young lady and we've got a great relationship today. That's so good. Now you eventually left the ministry or that ministry position. Explain what happened next. So this was another point where I wanted to do something for veterans because I'd struggled myself and I wanted to lend a hand to my brothers and sisters who were struggling like me. And so I started a a nonprofit and the idea behind this nonprofit, which I still think is probably 20 years too early, is to connect veterans, entrepreneurs and leaders together and help them collaborate, help them build relationships, give them tools and skills in hopes of this speeding up the assimilation process from going from complete structure in the military to becoming an entrepreneur and a leader in the civilian sector. So we started that nonprofit. I say we because I didn't do it alone, but I was the initiator. 
Uh, we started that back in 2014. The name is VEL Institute, V-E-L Institute, stands for Veterans, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders. We've been we've helped over a thousand people through these eight-week training programs we put together. I got it to a point where I felt like I was maybe holding it back. So I turned it over to the board of directors and co-founders, and they're still running it today. And I'm very proud of the work that they're doing and, and what we've been able to accomplish. And it's so neat to see people who have come through our programs and who are now starting their own nonprofits, starting their own businesses, helping other veterans. It is such a cool thing to see. That's incredible. Tell me some of the feedback you've gotten from these vets who've gone through this. When a, when a veteran leaves the military, more than anything, they just need good examples. They need to look at people and be around people who can show them how to improve their lives. Hmm. And so just getting people, just getting our veterans together with successful entrepreneurs and leaders, you kind of glean from people when you're around them, right? Yeah. There's that saying that you're, uh, you're the average of your five closest friends, your five closest associates. That's true. So if you can help people collaborate together, they can glean from each other. We've had people go into business together. So there's been great feedback. Leadership is key to everything. I mean, if you can add some leadership to your toolbox, whether you're a single contributing employee or a manager or a business owner, everybody can benefit from having leadership skills added to their toolbox. So we know we're making a difference. That's an incredible program. Now, I want to circle back on just a couple experiences you had. The first was when you transitioned into full-time ministry, and then when you transitioned into creating the VEL Institute, you had to make a choice. You had to take a leap of faith. Help me understand what you went through in your heart and mind when you made those transitions. Did they feel the same, or were they completely different circumstances with respect to how you were feeling called into these two different things? I was convicted, and that's an old word for convinced. I was convinced that was that there was more for me out there, not only from myself, but also from Holy Spirit. There was some convincing being done by the Holy Spirit mm. to make these moves. Mm-hmm. And there was convincing being done for myself. I had bigger desires than where I was. And I felt like I had gone through some really tough things. When you look back at your life and you survey really tough moments and you see that you were able to come out of them and make something good out of them, If you stack those successes, you can convince yourself that if you just continue pushing forward and asking for help and being led by the Lord, you can probably get through the next hurdle. Yeah. And so I began to look back at these really tough points in my life and telling myself, well, I made it through that and this and this and this. I can do this. I can do what's in my heart, what the Lord's convincing me of. I can do it. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a little convincing for myself and from the Holy Spirit there. <laughs> and I've never been a super risk averse person. I guess I'm fortunate in that way that I'm not, I don't sit around dwelling on what could go wrong. Now I've had to temper myself back because like I said earlier in life, I would barrel into things mm-hmm. and you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. So you got to depend on wise counsel. You got to depend on the Holy Spirit. You got to depend on the on the scripture. And uh, if you do those things, I would say you can build up a risk appetite. And that's what I did. I got to a point where I knew I needed to do more to leave a mark on this earth. I don't think we're put here to get to heaven. I think we're put here 
to change the world. Yeah. That sounds like a deep conviction for you. It is a deep conviction, yeah. And so with that thought in mind, what happened after the Vell Institute? So I got this, I got the nonprofit with the help of a lot of great people, a lot of great veterans, man. They saw this, they believed in the vision and they joined me, not only financially, but they joined me in the leadership team, the board of directors. I mean, if you ask for help and your heart's in the right place and you have a big vision, people will join you. And so I got, we got the nonprofit to a, a, a good spot. I turned it over. There was money in the bank, great leadership team at the table. And I had been praying because I knew in my heart that something, a change was coming. I knew that a change was coming. I didn't know what it was. I just knew. So I was praying. This was about the end of 2018. I started praying, Lord, just use me to shine your light. Use me to shine your light. A simple prayer. I go through these periods in my life where I'll have this deep prayer where I feel like I'm super close to the Lord. And then I'll get in this place where I I just don't want to pray. And there's just these small prayers. And my prayer at that time was, Lord, just use me to shine your light. And um, I prayed that prayer for about seven months straight, simple. And um, I ran into a lady who I'd known from the community. Her name's Carla McDougall. She's a movie producer here locally in Texas. And I ran into her at an event that I was volunteering at. And I just barely met her for maybe in passing, 15 seconds, shook her hand. Hey, heard good things about you. She produced a movie called We Are Stronger. It's a military movie that shows uh, a veteran coming back from Afghanistan going through this tough transition. So, man, she was speaking my language in this movie, Mm. and it's helped a lot of people. And so I thanked her, and, and we shook hands, and that was it. And about seven months later, I get a phone call out of the blue from this lady, and she says, Terry, this is going to be the craziest question you've ever been asked. And I thought to myself, well, go ahead and try me because I've been asked some crazy things. <laughs> but she said, I want you to come in and audition for a role in a TV series that we're getting ready to start producing called Breaking Strongholds. And uh, I thought, man, maybe this is the answer to my prayer. Lord, look, just use me to shine your light. Maybe this is the answer. So I went in on it and auditioned. I didn't get the role right away, but you know, they wanted to talk as a team. Finally, after about three weeks of doing script reads and getting some coaching, acting coaching, they took a big risk on me because I'd never done any professional acting. And I was cast as one of the leading roles in this television series, Breaking Strongholds. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just unbelievable what God can do with flawed instruments. I'm a flawed instrument. Think about Romans 8.28, and people need to go look that scripture up. I'm not going to repeat it, even though I can. He can use flawed instruments. He can use mistakes. He can use everything. Well, the Bible's replete with stories about using flawed instruments, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, hope for us. That's right. (laughs) There is hope for us. And people miss that because they get preached at. You know, you got to dig around in the Bible and, and get to know these people in the scripture for yourself. And you'll realize that King David was a disaster at points in his life. And Peter was a disaster. And But God used them. And they're incredible. They're yeah. incredible people, incredible stories. So mm-hmm. I was cast as the as Detective Ethan James in, in Breaking Strongholds. And it's a television series that's being produced. And check this out, Brian. The scripture, the anchor scripture is John 1.5 in this television series. Essentially, that scripture says God's light cannot be thwarted 
God is going to shine his light and darkness cannot, will not comprehend it or thwart it. So this prayer, you know, is coming to fruition. Use me to shine your light. The key scripture is God's going to shine his light. Come on. Come on, Terry. I know. Unreal. (laughs) Unreal. Tell me where things are in the production right now. We've filmed four episodes. And what's neat about this television series is all the money that it takes to make this thing. And I'm telling you, this is a, the project's well over a half a million dollars. The community has risen up together and funded this project. One of our main ministry efforts in this project is combating teen suicide. Mm. And I, I use the word combating because there are, there are shows and media influences out there that are promoting that it is a viable option for our teens to take their life. It's like an okay way out. That's what they're, that's essentially what they're telling our teens. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And our teens are taking their lives. And it's a, it is a very hidden issue because it is so traumatic. And I don't, I can only speak from secondhand experience because I've never lost a kid to teen suicide or lost, lost anyone to suicide. But it is it has such a ripple effect that the issue is hidden. Who wants to talk about suicide? It is such a scary, traumatizing topic. We're going to take that topic. We're going to show it on screen in an eight-episode series, and we're going to provide hope through this show. Wow. So, so we're really excited. Yes. Yes. I actually know a family personally who lost tragically in two separate incidents, two of their sons to suicide. Just brutal. And it's more pervasive than we know. When I say I don't know any, I don't, I've never lost my kid, a kid that I know personally. I have friends who have lost their kids to teen suicide, but I have no direct relationship. So I've got this folder on my phone. And when I see people openly talking about their kids that they've lost, I'll take a snapshot of that whether it's on social media or something that's shared with me, I'll take a snapshot of that on my phone and I'll tuck it away into this folder that's called my why. Mm. And if I ever doubt why we're doing this, why we're working on breaking strongholds, I'll go to that folder and scroll through these pictures. And unfortunately, I have a list of over 12 people that are right here in this community that I live in who have lost their kids to this epidemic of teen suicide. I'm so grateful you're doing this. It sounds amazing. When is the expected release date? Do you have any idea? Yeah, that's the that is the big question. We are working with Pureflix mm-hmm. and Netflix right now. We want to do a we want to do distribution with both of those platforms and we have a essentially a film agent that's working on that on our behalf. What's good is they've seen our pilot and uh, they want to see more episodes. So Great. we're super hopeful that this is going to be picked up by a big platform. Yeah. Let me ask you this semi-final question here. You said that we have the ability to live a limitless life. What do you mean by that, Terry? Well, I believe that, um, you know, I shared a quote uh, with you before we got on this uh, call. I believe that life expands and contracts in proportion to our courage, but we have to look at the opportunities that we have and chase them down, hunt them down, go after them and be convicted that we can do amazing things because we have so many examples of people who have gone before us and done it. I believe that we have everything that we need as believers to be extraordinary. The Bible says uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We got to walk in faith. The kicker is 
you can't have faith unless there's some doubt, right? There's no <laughs> such thing as faith without doubt. So we're pulled between this doubt and this, this idea that the Bible gives us that we can walk in faith. And we got to choose that. We have to. It's fascinating you mentioned this because I was literally going through that whole thought process this morning as I was journaling. Lord's reading your journal. He's yes. reading your mail. He's reading it. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing so much of your heart, Terry. I'd love for us to finish up here by having you pray for our listeners, if you would. I'd love to do that. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to shine your light, just like John 1.5 says. That's what your people are called to do. And I pray that this message touches somebody at the right time and gives them courage to step forward in something that you've been calling them to for a long time, something that you put up there on their heart that they're capable of, but that they've been in fear about. You don't want that fear for them, Lord. You want them to move forward, to press into your heart, to press into your desires. God, we trust you for that. And we pray these things in your precious son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Appreciate you, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.